in another episode of Don't Quit Your Day Job. And I am here once again with my friend and guitar teacher, Mark Silent G. Tremalia. <laughs> Holy cow, he got it! <laughs> so it's, it's only been 20 episodes and I've been pretty stubborn about pronouncing your name correctly, even though you've corrected me at least a thousand times over the course of our uh, time on Earth together. Uh, and I'm not sure why I got to be so stubborn about it, but um, my brother, uh, your friend, my brother has started to threaten me now via text messages if I don't do it properly. So uh, Thank you, Brian. <laughs> so Silent G is your new nickname. We did talk about nicknames in, uh, in one of the previous episodes, uh, but I'm going to go with, with Silent G. And you don't have any choice now, so that's... That's I just guess the way not. That's usually how nicknames work, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's true. Um, how you been, buddy? Everything good? Yeah, everything's been good. Been uh, just uh, playing. Got some gigs coming up with uh, Disreputable Few, finishing up the Cruzados record right now, and uh, uh, getting ready to possibly go to Europe in September, but that seems like it's waning already. So uh, I don't know, you know, and we've got some management we're, we're talking to to see what we can do in the meantime. <laughs> it does seem like uh, travel to Europe is becoming less and less a likelihood right now. Europe seems yeah. to be under less control than the United States in terms of vaccinations, which is actually pretty surprising since they were so far ahead of being better about COVID than, than we were. Totally, totally. You know, and I know, you know, a few weeks, like our, our promoter over there, Manny Montana, he uh, he got vaccinated and he was actually pretty excited about a month ago. He thought, you know, pretty good shot of us getting out there. And now we see places are going back on lockdown again yeah. and a lot of big restrictions again over there. So it's looking it's looking less and less likely that we'll be going. But, you know. Then we'll see. let's let's jump into talking about you recording, you prepping for the Crusados record. So presumably you were asked to participate in that project because Tony, the main guy, likes the way that you play guitar. Um, but are you in in terms of your preparation going into the studio? I know at this point we've talked about nerves before. You don't really have any nerves when you're going in because you have a good sense of what you're doing and you prepare well. So let's take it the other way. How often do you get completely drunk before you go in to play your part? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't know that I've ever recorded drunk. Um, not, you know, um, yeah, no, I can't think of ever recording drunk. I mean, I've definitely had gigs where people have bought shots and things like that and are insistent that I drink. And I've definitely ended up, you know, at the end of shows like, did I play OK? But, <laughs> you know, it's usually the, the worse you think you play, the nicer people are and tell you how good you played, which is really bizarre. But I'm sure you've had that same concept of where you get off stage and it's like that was the worst show I ever had. I made so many mistakes. And then people are like, dude, I've never seen a better guitar player in my life. Like, what? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that is <clears throat> even for someone at at my level uh, that does happen. Uh, just like with the show, where you're just like, oh, we weren't that good, but people still really, really dig it for whatever reason, and then you're like, yeah, whatever. And that's also what leads me to sometimes believe that none of it matters, right? You just put on, you do your best, and have fun, and it'll all work itself out in the end, and it and it's fine. I that's that's a good attitude, you know. I mean, I definitely. 
I definitely have shows where I feel like I'm prepared and I'm ready and then I get on stage and the sound isn't right and I'm not hearing the bass and the vocals aren't coming through the monitors loud enough and I'm struggling the, the whole show. But, you know, you get off stage and you just got to put it behind you and go, OK, that was that was that show. You know, it was a struggle and but people seem to enjoy it. And that's the, the that's yeah. the. The thing that makes it worth it is if people think it's okay. You the, know? the venues that I play at, nor it's it's normal to not be able to hear anything but like your amp and the drums. <laughs> so I'm really used to not hearing anything. Um, so it'll <laughs> it'll be a treat if and when I get to uh, a bigger level and I can actually hear stuff. That'll be that'll be fun. <laughs> well, here's a good one. Our singer Ron and Little Caesar and the Cruzados, you know. Um, our, uh, Lauren and myself were guitar players and, you know, guitar players do have a problem with volume. We definitely like to turn up, you know, and, and there's a, a there's a phenomenon that I don't think a lot of musicians realize as, as the show goes on, especially like with Little Caesar, we do an hour and a half, you know, at least a half hour to 40 minutes in, you start to go tone deaf to yourself. You're hearing everything else fine, but whatever is happening internally, you're hearing yourself less and less. And I've, over the years, learned to compensate for that. But there's a lot of guitar players that just, as the show's going on and on, they're turning up and turning up, and you're hearing less and less. And so Ron's way to combat that um, was to buy a, a, a small two-speaker PA that he puts on the stage and faces it out. So he can turn one around if he wants to hear himself on stage a little more, but he can turn them both out and guarantee. And it's funny, you know, the first show he did with it, people came up and goes, I've never heard the vocals so loud and clear before. I can't believe it, you know, and it's like, OK, good call, Ron, you know, like, I guess if you can't if you can't beat him, join him. So he just got louder. <laughs> Before we jump back to the Crusados recording thing, I do want to ask then, have you ever done a show in your 30, 40 year career where you purposefully got drunk beforehand where you did it on purpose? Uh, boy, I, I, I mean, I've played so many shows, Paul, and, you know, like I don't drink as much as I did in the early days. But, you know, like a lot of times when you're touring, I mean, I'm sure there's a show or two. I don't know if I purposely got drunk, but there's definitely a show or two where I probably stumbled on the stage and been like, OK, get your shit together. Drink water, drink water, you know, because you, you're on the bus and the other band and you're the middle band and you're partying with them and friends are coming in, you know, and then the next thing you know, it's like up oh, stage time, five minutes. And it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> but, yeah, I don't think I've ever like purposely gotten drunk. But I mean, I've had shows that um, like. Uh, okay, so I played in a band uh, called the Vagabonds back in the mid '90s with Joe Lestay, the singer of Bang Tango, and we had um, we had a, a revolving lineup. He and I were the main staples of it, and at one point, he alienated the other guys in the band and we were playing every Tuesday night at the teaser and it was good money. It was like an important gig every week because we needed this dough and the bass player, drummer and other guitar player decided, fuck you guys, we're not showing up. And so Joe and I were there and Joe's <laughs> like, what do we do? And so what we did was we called musician friends. I found a drummer and a bass player. So it was a four piece instead of a five piece because it was two guitars. Um, and we made up songs on stage for an hour and a half. Literally, I'd go, okay, I got this riff in C sharp. And I'd show the bass player real quick. And drummer would come up with a beat. And Joe would make up lyrics. And we, for an hour and a half, made up a show. But I remember by the end of that show, like, 
being pretty drunk because I remember being like, <laughs> bring me another beer, bring me another beer because like I just got to get through this. Like, how do I get creative? How do I make this shit up? Oh, my God, I can't write another riff. That's exactly that, you know, so you're just going for it. But I mean, it's there's nothing more interesting than having you know, 300 people in a little club and you're making shit up on stage. <laughs> that is awesome. And, and I'm sad now that there probably doesn't exist a recording of spontaneous songwriting on stage. Cause that would be, it would either be horrifyingly bad, I guess, or really, really awesome and fun. Uh, or maybe a combination of those two. I think it was a combination because I feel like there was some, I mean, I'm sure there was a few where we probably played the same thing for 15 minutes because like it felt good and people seemed to be dancing and like the, he had Joe came up with like, you know, two words in the chorus. So it was easy. But then there was a few where it was like looking at each other, like finish, how do we finish this thing? <laughs> finish this thing. Jesus. <laughs> um, I'm sure there was a few tracks. My, uh, I was, I was in a band once and our singer, Lindsay, who I, who I love and, and, and uh, is a is a great singer and front woman. She used to drink Newcastle on stage, and she put the bottles in front of her, along with her phone on the floor always. And so by the end of the night, of course, there is a a, a puddle of beer with her phone in it, and she always used to break her phone. Um, but <laughs> I remember one night she was drinking her Newcastles. She took a big swig, sang a line, and then turned and looked at me and then puked the beer basically just back out onto the floor, right? It wasn't like puke. It was just like regurgitating the beer. But she looked straight at me, did it, and then continued <laughs> singing. And I was just like, what the hell? That was crazy. So um, do you have any, any stories or a story of any band member who would consistently get, get fucked up on stage? Um, God, Paul, you know, the funny thing is like, I'm sure I do, but I, you know, <laughs> I, I haven't really had anything that crazy where I, uh, that I can think about. I mean, like, like one of I played with a bass player who used to bring his bong on stage and like in between <laughs> sets, he like, I mean, I'm sorry, in between sets, in between songs, he would like crouch down behind his little bass amp and you'd see this puff of cloud come up and then he'd walk back out and play and be like, okay. <laughs> that is pretty awesome. Actually. That's a, yeah. that's a pretty ingenious way, way to handle it. All right. Let's, let's get back to the Crusados. So uh, you're going in, are you playing, are you participating in the songwriting or, or are you adding flavor and doing solos? What's your, what's your role in the band? Oh, that's a good question. I mean, it's a pretty much, it's, it's a band itself. Um, as far as everybody's kind of um, got to, got to create their own parts, you know? So songwriting itself for, for me it being a, a, a guitar player in the business for all these years, I look at songwriting as the guy that comes in and says, here's the chords here's the lyrics, here's the chorus, this is a song, you know? So if he brings that in and I, I hear the melody and I go, oh, here's a cool riff for it, I don't feel like I'm a songwriter. I feel like I'm contributing mechanics. I'm putting something in a song that's good, but I'm not, you know, quote unquote, a songwriter for that. So to, to answer your question, for each of the songs, I mean, I definitely came up with my own parts, my own riffs. Um, I'm sure Tony Marcico, the bass player who wrote literally all 11 songs that are on the record i'm sure there was a song or two where he had an idea he said mark i want the riff to sound like this or can you play this this is this is an idea i have but for the most part i just i came up with my own parts and you know there was 
one song that had a solo that there was something I was doing in the solo he didn't like. But other than that, in the 11 songs, pretty much I had free reign, you know, and, and, and I totally understood where he was coming from in the one song with the thing I kept playing. I was following a chord progression and he just didn't want me to follow it. He thought it sounded too classic Rocky doing that. And when I listened back to the recording, I was like, oh, I see what he means. And then I just, I adjusted and played, played a little more apropos for the song and it worked. It's actually my favorite solo on the record now. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Um, when yeah. you do solos, are you doing a full take and then a couple of more takes and then stitching them together? Or are you trying to do one whole take that has good flow that you end up happy with? So uh, the idea when we went in to record was we were going to do the the kind of standard. We were going in for bass and drums, basically, uh, for the basic tracks. And then we were going to build from there. And uh, what happened though was lauren and myself we just said let's play it live like we will and then we'll go back and overdub it but what we played when we put down the basic tracks on i'd say about eight of the 11 songs i kept so i i did my solos live spontaneously and we basically did three takes of every song and the second take was almost everyone was the second take almost. It was so funny. You know, we do one take, it was a little rough, and then the second take would be perfect, and then the third take you could hear us trying too hard. And so the second take was the one. And and then, um, yeah, I'd say three to four songs I went back and recut solos. But other than that, we just kept what, you know, because it's, you know, Ron's laying down a, a vocal track and the band is vibing live. It's not like, you know, it's just bass and drums in there playing. We're all trying to to give our all. So it's like sometimes that energy and that band feel, you're going to lose it when you go back and just try to recut it. So, you know, we got a rough mix and, you know, here you go, here you can learn the parts and come back in and recut them. And then we all kind of go, those those parts already sound really good, you know, and I'm sure you know about demo-itis, you know, it's like, you hear something on a demo and you can't recreate it, but you love the way it sounds. And so we decided to not deal with demoitis and just go, hey, this stuff sounds good. Let's just keep it, you know? And I, I was happy enough with what I did. I mean, I always try to play like it's the last time I'm going to play. So, you know, I mean, that's part of the trick. That <clears throat> So that's pretty interesting that, that, you, that you kept a lot of the the second take stuff and is that like if you think back on your career is that a common theme where you're where you're doing something like that or in the you know if you're recording in the 90s was it really just really overdub city and and you've gotten better and more comfortable over time or or what's the difference there that's funny uh well, well with bang tango i remember the two records i did with them a hundred percent i did uh, after they went and did the bass and drums and I played on the basic track, but then they were like, no, this is how it's done. You know, that way we can separate sound, blah, 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 and the production, blah, blah. So, you know, which was fine with me, you know, I mean, one of my favorite guitar players growing up was Randy Rhodes. And I always read how he was like a master at double tracking. So I used to, as a kid would practice that I'd take my stupid cassette recorder, <laughs> you know, with the two buttons that you push down right. and I'd record crazy train. And then I'd practice trying to play along with what I played. And I did some stuff. Stuff. Actually, I did some double tracking on the on the Cruzados thing, and those guys laughed at me because it's like they're like, "Dude, you can play yourself really well." And I'm like, "Well, I mean, you know, not only did I practice at it, but it is me." 
And for for these songs, when I think of you as a guitar player, I typically think of you as a Les Paul guy, even though you play lots of different guitars. Um, did you have like, I'm going to play this guitar for, for these songs, or, or does that stuff sort of not matter to you? No, I, I used a bunch of different guitars. I uh, My telly ended up on about five songs. Les Paul on two, Strat on one, and then there was a killer Gretsch country gentleman at the studio, and I used that on two songs. Two of like the 60s kind of sounding big open Corey songs, and that Gretsch just killed. It's like, I want one so bad. <laughs> cool. Um, let, let's switch gears then. Uh, it'll be great to, to hear that stuff when it comes out. Uh, you know, I'm looking forward to it. I'm sure it's, it's going to be great. Mostly to hear Lauren's contributions and, and I guess I'll listen yeah. to you as, as well. Okay. But. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> I did. I used the silver tone for slide too, with those little magnetic pickups with like the aluminum foil yeah, over it. Yeah, that's man, cool. Just, yeah, it sounded so cool. So I did use that for a little bit too. Uh, so one thing I want to talk about is is Mitch Perry. Uh, for those who don't know, Mitch Perry is famous in guitar player circles uh, mm -hmm. for being super fast, and he does like the NAM shows. And I've read recently that he was, he does a regular like show somewhere in in Los Angeles, Hermosa Beach. Okay, yeah, he plays. Yeah. Um, so is that is that Los Angeles or no? I don't know anything about. Oh yeah, it's California. L.A. County. You okay. know, I mean, L.A. County itself is bigger than Connecticut, so it's like. <laughs> No, it really is. It's crazy how big L.A. County is. You know, it stretches from Chatsworth all the way out to like Palmdale, all the way out to like almost, you know, obviously Orange County, um, like Huntington Beach and all that. So it's 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 a huge city. So when when Mitch Perry does his thing in again, the way that I understand it, it's it's pretty common for maybe someone to host these sorts of things. And I don't really want to call it a blues jam because that makes me think of lawyers with their Paul Reed Smiths getting up at the local <laughs> local bar and and playing the same shit over and over again. But but this sort of stuff in L.A. seems to be pretty common. Is this is this something that you've participated in over the years? And in particular, what about the Mitch Perry thing? Have you have you done that? So um, I haven't gone out to Huntington Beach. He's invited me, but where I, I, the two places I live are like an hour and a half drive to go play two songs or three songs. Just like <laughs> I don't, I don't really want to do it. But he does. Uh, him and Chuck Wright, the bass player from uh, Quiet Riot, House of Lords, uh, a bunch of other bands. Those two have a a, a jam night at the Whiskey. Um, I think it's a Tuesday or Wednesday, but it's called the Ultimate Jam Night. And uh, it's really fun. I go down there and I, I sit in on that a lot. And uh, it's really cool because you get a lot of other, you know, players of our era. You know, like I, I've played with Doug Pinnock there. I've played with um, uh, Gary Beers and Andy Ferris from In Excess. I've played with um, just a lot of cool guys. Uh, Clem Burke from, from Blondie. Joe Travers from Frank Zappa. Um, I played with... Uh, uh, the Lukather, uh, Trevor Lukather, Steve Lukather's kid, and, and guys like that, and they, they show up, and basically it's a really cool concept they have. Every Tuesday night they have a theme. So, you know, one week it's Woodstock. One week, uh, like when um, 
Greg Allman died. They made it an Allman Brothers night. That night I played a lot. <laughs> I played with a lot of different people that night. Because um, there's not, you know, the slide guitar, the southern style, especially in this town, there's there's like a handful of guys that All can right. play it. So right. I, get, I get called for that type of stuff a lot, which I, I and, and Mitch Perry, as a matter of fact, like is very complimentary of my slide playing and, and make sure to call me in when that stuff's going on. Um, so they, they do cool things like that. You know, they've done Rocky Horror Picture Show where they'll play like all the songs from the Rocky Horror Picture Show. And the guy who hosted this guy, Paulie Z, who's a great singer and he's uh, in the in the circuit and scene, too. Like he'll dress up, you know, and some of the guys will dress up. They'll do 80s night. They'll do Van Halen night. They'll do it. And, and they'll come up with a list of songs and they'll pick guys and say, you learn these songs. And that's the other thing I really like is like I've had to learn some really trippy songs that like I never would have had to learn in the past. Off the top of my head, I can't think of 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 them. But like, you know, um, I learned like Tiny Dancer on guitar, you know, and there's like cool, two or three really cool parts through that, that I learned like the slide part in there and some acoustic stuff that's in there. And, you know, they didn't, that was the Elton John night, obviously. And, you know, um, like uh, Jefferson, Jefferson Airplane, you know, like Somebody to Love and White Rabbit, all those cool little parts in there. So it's kind of fun, you know, and usually on Saturday, they'll give you the songs and you just got to learn them by Tuesday. And that's the other thing is no one rehearses. We show up on stage for time you meet these guys and we're playing this song and it's always you know the one thing they always make sure to do is they'll attach a youtube file so they'll you'll get an email and it'll have a list and it'll say you know mark tremelia and it'll say um uh you know white rabbit and it'll have a youtube link and then it'll say somebody to love youtube link and and so uh, gold dust woman youtube link and so it'll give you either the album version or a live version and you know you you're going to use the tuning that's on that and you're going to use that arrangement and that's the that's the way we're playing the song is how that's going to be so everybody has to come in and you know we all meet backstage and we have a little powwow and go, okay, uh, when that part comes up, who's playing that? Oh, okay. Cause some songs are two guitar songs, you know? Right. And so we work it out and some, some, you know, there's been times where I've learned every part and I show up and the guy goes, Oh, I got all the solo stuff. Can I just do it? And I'm like, whatever, I don't care. So I'll just play acoustic, <laughs> you know, I'll just play like the rhythm, the whole song. And it's like, damn it. I learned the whole thing for nothing. <laughs> so how nerve wracking is that? Um, you're playing with with peers, right? So these are real real players. Um, do you feel pressure to be good? I mean, again, knowing you, you're always going to be well prepared. But do you feel any additional pressure to 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 be well prepared? Yeah, yeah. You know, you don't want to suck, and and it's sold out every every week too. That's the other thing. It's like you know, the whiskey holds about 500 people, and it's like you walk in and it's like, oh crap! I'm glad I know my stuff, and you know, <laughs> this is gonna be fun. You know, and and you know, yeah, it's it's a, it's a touch nerve wracking, especially like there's nights where I go there and I'm playing with five guys I've never met. I've seen them, you know, and like, I don't, you know, the powwow might be literally before we walk on stage. Cause I'm not even sure who this guy is, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so it's like, there's got, you know, there's a stage manager. He kind of wrangles everybody and makes sure everybody knows everybody. And you know, they, they take good care of you when, when you do those jam nights. What did you play with Doug Pinnock? Oh, uh, we did whipping post. Oh, well that's good. Uh, yeah, he sang it. He he wanted us to change the key at the last. Like he got on stage and we were literally like going, okay, you know. And he goes, "Could play the first chord?" And I go, "I play the A." And he goes, "Oh, that's way too low for me. Can we put it up to like B or C?" And like, dude, 
Like literally they're going like, and from King's X. And we're like, no, dude, we can't transpose that thing. You know, a major third. <laughs> but I'm sure he killed the vocal anyway. He's amazing. Oh, so. man. I, I actually have a copy. I My wife was there that night. She videoed the whole thing. And yeah, Doug was, oh, man, if I could, you know, if I could sing it that bad, I'd be happy. <laughs> and he seems like he's very tall, like physically tall. Is that true? Is he is he quite tall? Doug is is yeah he's like six one six two weighs about a hundred and one pounds soaking wet, <laughs> smokes pot nonstop and is probably the nicest guy you'll ever want to meet. Cool, yeah, sounds cool. But yeah, those those, those jam nights they it got shut down. Uh, one of the nights I was really looking forward to, and I unfortunately wasn't on the bill, so I wasn't even going to go because I knew it was going to be crazy. But um, Steve Vai has come a few times, and I you know played with Billy Sheehan there, and um, they got Greg Bissonette down. And they were like, oh, they got those three guys. So somebody made a call and David Lee Roth was coming down to meet them and do an Eat em and Smile reunion. And so many people showed up that the fire marshal shut the whole thing okay, down. Yeah. Closed I, I did. I did read about that. Yeah, that that's pretty crazy. Like they didn't even play. They're like they, it got shut no. down before before anything got started. Yeah. Wow, they took cool. a picture. That was that was about the most they got to do. Is the they got to take a picture of the four of them being together. Wow. Have you played with Mike Keneally at all? Uh, that is so strange. You just brought his name up. A friend of mine yesterday. We we're talking about being musicians. He goes, "Hey, I'm friends with this guy, Mike Keneally. You ever heard of him?" Um, to answer your question, I've played acoustic with Mike Keneally before. We've sat down and jammed out some stuff and talked a whole bunch. Super nice guy, but I've actually never been on stage with him. Okay. Okay. Well, that just because I know he's a protege of like Steve Vai and he's done Frank Zappa stuff and just like he's yeah. like the background guy. If you need a keyboard player, a killer guitar player, a guy who can do everything, that's the guy you call as I understand it. He sings great too. <laughs> like he's 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 the complete package. He's really an amazing musician. Do you ever get mad at these guys who are good at like literally everything. There's a guy in Pittsburgh, John Stocker, who, who has a studio. He produces a lot of Pittsburgh bands. He plays in a bunch of bands, but if you need a guitar player, you call him. If you need a keyboard player, you call him. And he just like fills in for everything. And it's just like, damn man, save some for the rest of us. You know, Uh, I, you know, I do hate them all, but it's really hard to, because most of those guys are so nice and complimentary, right, you know, they're like, right. oh, I can do that. Like Keneally's like, well, I can't really do that. You know, that thing you do with the funk and the blue, that's not really my thing, but it's like, I've seen you do it and you fucking do it better than me. So shut <laughs> up. <laughs> let's, uh, all right. That's awesome. So let's switch gears one more time and apparently you you've hinted at this before so let's leave this episode with your steve stevens story so apparently you have a steve stevens story that i've never heard the whole story of so i'd like to I, i think we should end this episode with that all right so Okay, so I was pl- doing the Vagabonds with Joe Lestay, and this was the very first incarnation of the Vagabonds. So this was actually even before I joined Bang Tango. So we were still, uh, Joe and I were still getting to know each other, but we had a cool set with some cool cover songs in there, and Joe got us a weekly gig at the Cafe Largo, uh, which the Largo is like the shit. It's like one of the cooler, hip spots in L.A., lots of you know, quote unquote, celebrity, trendy people go there and it's a, it's a good spot to play. So we were really happy. We were playing there for about a month and a half. And at the point 
in the band, it was uh, Kyle Kyle, who was the bass player for Bang Tango, myself, Joe, uh, this guy named Tim Siner, who was playing utility guy. He was playing guitar, but he'd also play keyboards and sing backups. And um, I can't remember who our drummer was at that point. It might have been Ray Luzari, the guy from Korn. And so Kyle um, got a gig uh, rehearsing with Billy Idol because their bass player had another gig and he was out of town and Kyle was really trying to get the gig so he really befriended Steve Stevens and he said hey Steve tonight I'm doing this cover band I play with we play every Tuesday night at the Largo why don't you come down and sit in and Steve was like hey that'd be great I'll come down so you know we're getting there we're setting up and Kyle tells me hey Steve Stevens is going to come play with us tonight and I'm like oh my god how <laughs> cool is that like this guy is he's a maniac you know he's so great so, you know, we go on at 10 and we, we usually do two to three sets. So we go on at 10 and we do our first set and the place is packed. And this is like this. I'm, I'm excited. I'm like, you know, I haven't really done many like jams with celebrity guitar players that I, you know, admire like that. You know, I mean, I, I, I was lucky I got to play with some cool cats, but like I was like Steve Stevens. You know, I saw Billy Idol when I was like 16 at the Hartford Civic Center. Um, so so we do our second set. Uh, still no Steve Stevens and people are starting to clear out. It's a Tuesday night, you know, by 1130 or so people go home, you know, about 1145 Steve Stevens walks in and we were literally like done. We were like about to pack up, but Steve Stevens was there. So it's like, okay, let's play. So he hops on stage. He's like, we're, we're doing voodoo child. I'm like, okay. I'm like, I know that. And you know, drummer's like, cool. You know, we've never done it, but let's do it. So he grabs uh, the other guitar player's guitar and I'm like, cool. I'm getting to play with Steve Stevens. This is going to be great. You know? So Steve Stevens proceeds to just turn the amp on 10 plays so loud that you can't even hear the vocals can't hear anything and he is jumping around like and it's a tiny stage it's like it's like what they call a postage stamp because we can all barely fit on it and you know being that he's a rock star he's like doing the windmills he's jumping around and people are like clearing out because it's kind of insane and loud now and he literally gets on a table and he is like doing a solo and ripping a solo. And then he looks at me and I'm like, oh, cool. He's giving me a solo. And he points at me and I played one note. And then he literally jumped off the stage in front of me and just started shredding. Like, <laughs> stop playing and not everybody's here to see me. And just, and I was like, okay. I just backed up and went back to my, you know, E7 sharp nine chord. And I was like, okay, go Steve. And he finished, he took the guitar off, he put his jacket on and he left. And that was it. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even get to meet him really. Oh my God! So you don't you don't even know if he is a nice guy or not a nice guy or whatever. I mean, clearly he's a rock star because right, that's right. that's obvious. But so, and what did what did Kyle say? Uh, I think Kyle was semi embarrassed because he thought like it was going to be a jam and stuff. So you know, and Kyle's Kyle's kind of about Kyle. So I'm sure Kyle chased him out the door and probably talked to him and and you know tried to be, you know, because Kyle was really lobbying to be Billy Idol's bass player, which obviously, which didn't work out. You know, he didn't, didn't get the gig. Um, but yeah. And, you know, you know, years later, I know people that know him. I, I still, to this day, I've never met him again, but people tell me he's a great guy and he's super nice. And when I tell people that story, they're like, it's so out of character. I, I really can't imagine him being like that, but I, I lived it, so it did happen. <laughs> and was he wearing normal clothes, or was he wearing Steve he was Stevens' not. clothes? Oh no! Oh no! He was wearing like super tight black 
pants and he had on like a vest with no shirt and his hair was all wild and everything, you know, it was a, it was almost like he was in a music video. Like, and like, I just remember being on stage and going like, this dude is going crazy. Like at first I was like, this is a good lesson. I'm like, this guy is playing a bar with like seriously 11 people now. Cause everybody left and he doesn't give a shit. He's playing like it's Madison square garden. But then when he pointed to me to solo and I hit one note and then he jumped in front of me and started soloing, I was like, that's kind of a fucking douchey thing to do. Like seriously. Like, and, and, and the funny thing was Paul, he had been so, for like 10 minutes like it wasn't like he just did a quick solo and then pointed to me and then jumped in front of me i mean he'd been on the table he brought the band down he brought the band up he you know spun the guitar around he ran out by the bar he jumped back on a table and then he points to me and i play literally i bend my b note up to an e and he jumps in front of me and starts going <laughs> i was like okay <laughs> Amazing. Uh, I'm going to get T-shirts printed for you that say, I played with Steve Stevens. Um, (laughs) And then you can tell that story to everybody that asks. Uh, It was probably 92, 92 or early 93 when that happened. So when was was Billy Idol huge? I mean, he was still pretty big then, but it was more like late 80s, right? When he was huge? Okay. Yeah. Okay. You know, but he was rehearsing for a tour and they had a new record. So, you know, like he was Steve Stevens was in that mode right. where it's like he was on the cover of the guitar magazines and the record was coming out. And we're hitting the, the big time again. So like I just love that he was dressed up to go do that. Like he planned it. Right? You know, he wasn't it wasn't just like off the cuff. He planned it. He went in to do that oh. specifically. Oh, I, I believe so. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, well, Whoa. thanks, everyone, for listening. Please continue to listen. Please like and subscribe and rate the show. That really helps us out a lot. Um, thank you again, Mark, for that was an amazing story. Maybe the, the best one yet, but there, there are plenty more things to come. Uh, so much <laughs> appreciated. Um, Keep keep playing. Keep uh, looking forward to the Crusados thing. And and uh, actually, one one very last thing: any U.S. Uh-huh. dates planned for for you anywhere? Uh, well, the if the M three thing happens with Little Caesar, which they keep moving it from July fourth to October fourteenth, and then back to July fourth, and now it's in limbo again. That's mm-hmm. that's literally the only dates we have okay. at this point. But um, the Crusados just to like put a bow on that real quick. We're mastering it right now. Hopefully we'll have it out in the next month or so. Um, I'm really proud of it. It's probably the best stuff I've ever recorded and played on. Um, It's up, you know, and the uncle Dwayne's band I'm pretty proud of too, but the Crusados thing just really like, I felt free and I could play anything. And we had some cool guests on there. We had Dave Alvin from the blasters. We had John Doe from X we had um, David Hildago from Los Lobos. We had the, I can't remember her name, sorry, the girl from the Pandoras and uh, the Muffs. She played keyboards for us and uh, a few others that, you know, I can't think of off the top of my head. And Bruce Whitkin produced it and he is just a badass producer. So Awesome. Well, thanks, buddy. Uh, be safe and we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Sounds good, Paul. Thank you. Man.